If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. In South Carolina, on an unknown date in the 1850s, an enslaved woman named Rose packed a sack containing a few precious items for her nine-year-old daughter, Ashley. Ashley was then separated from her mother and sold. It's likely that the two never saw each other again. This story is embroidered on a cotton sack, now held in the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. And a book by Professor Taya Miles uses this emotive object as a jumping-off point to explore women's experiences during slavery. Taya's book has recently been shortlisted for the Kundal History Prize, and we've teamed up with them to bring you conversations with all the authors, so I spoke to Taya to find out more. In your book, All That She Carried, you use one object as a window onto the experiences of generations of black women during slavery and after slavery as well. So let's start, before we go any further, with that central object, Ashley's sack. So what is Ashley's sack? Can you describe it to us? Ashley's sack is an antique agricultural bag. It was manufactured around the 1850s, and it was used for the purpose of carrying things like seeds or grain. This particular bag was acquired and used by an enslaved woman named Rose, who found out that her daughter, named Ashley, was about to be sold away by the people who legally owned them. And Rose then determined that she would pack this sack with items that she thought Ashley would be able to use, that Ashley would need in the future. And that's why the bag is now named Ashley's Sack. It was actually a curator down in Charleston, South Carolina, who gave it that name after finding the inscription that was embroidered on the bag. And the inscription it was embroidered by Ashley's granddaughter, is that correct? A a woman called Ruth Middleton in the 1920s. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that inscription, because it's really evocative, isn't it? Yes. Ruth Middleton did uh, embroider the sack with the family story, with the family's trauma of the separation of a mother and daughter. And Ruth Middleton did this when she herself had just become a new mother in the early 1900s. What she sewed onto the sack were the following lines. My great-grandmother Rose, mother of Ashley, gave her this sack when she was sold at age nine in South Carolina. It held a tattered dress, three handfuls of pecans, a braid of Rose's hair, told her it be filled with my love always. She never saw her again. Ashley is my grandmother, Ruth Middleton, 
1921. So on the sack itself, the original item that Rose packed for Ashley, Ruth Middleton, the descendant, sewed the story of the family's history. Just to explain to our listeners, how was Ashley's sack discovered? How did it end up in a museum where it is today? Ashley's sack was discovered in the most surprising of places. It was found at a flea market in Tennessee. And it was found by a shopper who was there looking for items because uh, she was someone who tended to treasure hunt and then try to refashion items that she found. And she would sell them on eBay, actually to help pay for her her children's education. And uh, she was at a flea market. She saw a bin of rags, which was marked for uh, a very low price of you know twenty dollars, and she was looking through, rifling through the fabrics in that bin. She came upon the sack, and she actually took the time to look at it closely. That's when she saw the inscription. She read it, and she thought, "This looks like something very special." And so she hurried, you know, to the to the to the, the merchant, and she bought the whole bin. And then she started googling, and she realized that the name Middleton was the family name of a very wealthy, formerly plantation-owning family down in Charleston, South Carolina. And she donated the sack to uh, the Plantations Foundation. And the reason why, one of the reasons why items like Ashley's sack are so significant is because, as you write in your book, there's so few sources that we have available that that tell us about the experiences of enslaved women, from, especially from their perspectives. Can you tell us a bit about the challenges you face as a scholar in this area that's trying to find and uncover the stories of women who were enslaved? Well, this is a challenge that all scholars face who are working on the histories of people who were enslaved, people who were subjugated, marginalized, people who did not have the opportunity to learn how to read and to write. And In the case of Black Americans who were enslaved, it was often illegal for them to learn how to read and write. So there really was a barrier around literacy for them, which meant that it was much more unlikely that they would be able to write their own story, to tell their own life history in a way that would be recorded and preserved that we could access now. So this is one of the major problems that anyone tracing the people who were enslaved would face. Scholars, genealogists, family historians, students, that the people were interested in did not have the ability in most cases, due to the constraints placed on their lives, to tell their own stories. And then in addition to that, the records that we do have about the system of slavery and the experience of enslaved people are documents that were produced by their enslavers or by people who were um, caught up in the system of trying to extract value, trying to extract capital from enslaved people's work, from their minds, from their intelligence, from their emotions. And those individuals kept records that were of course, aimed toward benefiting their investment and business activities. Those records are um, very distant, very sparse, cold, uh, 
unfeeling and never had the intention, never had the aim of representing the cares, the interests, the experiences of the people who were enslaved. So as a historian of this subject, where does that leave you? How do you begin to overcome some of those challenges with the lack of sources? Well, first, anyone who wants to study the lives of the marginalized and faces a scarcity of sources needs to accept that lack and choose to walk into it as opposed to avoiding the subject matter and perhaps um, trying to find another, another topic where there would be ample sources. We have to choose to walk into those spaces of absence. And then once there, we have to try to open our minds to all of the potential sources that might not have been so evident before when we were solely focused on the documentary record. And those additional kinds of sources can include all kinds of things, especially artifacts, objects, items of material culture, and also the environment, the landscape, the built environment, places where enslaved people would have lived, walked, and spent their days. So in the case of your book, you've taken this more imaginative approach to sources and and broadened the spectrum of what we could consider historical sources. Of course, it's all starting with this one object, Ashley's sack. So when you have that one object, where do you go from there? How did you begin to do the detective work to uncover the story behind the sack? Well, Ashley's sack is quite a remarkable object. It's the only thing that we have that is like it in the material culture of African America, in that it is an original object, an original item from the time period of enslavement. And it was actually tagged, marked, and specified with a written document of sorts through the act of Ruth Middleton's sewing onto the bag itself. So we have an Ashley sack a thing that dates to the time, and a testimony that is written in stitches on the fabric. So it's quite special. Um, Although we know that many enslaved people did use sacks, they did use bags to carry items with them when they were being sold, we don't have other sacks like this that actually tell a story. So this is an incredible object, and in it, there really was Um, a richness that could be uncovered. And the first thing that I did was to really spend time with the sack as my primary source and to think about it. I thought about the material makeup of the sack, what it was actually made of, the kinds of cotton, the way it was manufactured. In fact, it was manufactured by machine, which is what helps to date it to the 1850s. I thought quite a lot about the items that Ruth Middleton recorded that had been packed into the sack by Rose. And I took each item in turn and just really thought about it and just just spent time trying to consider the ways in which an enslaved woman would have acquired such an item, why she might have thought it would be important for the survival of her child and how that child might have used the item. And those steps in the research process really required quite a lot of research into 
material objects and their uses, and also into the time period. I did a lot of thinking about adjacent stories and adjacent materials. All we have that is in the, uh, let's say, written record about this family is what's been sewn onto the sack. This is uh, the fullest reported that we have. And so I needed to be able to expand the area around the sack to include experiences of other enslaved women and other formerly enslaved women. And I did that by looking to the narratives of women who had been enslaved and had managed to escape, and also letters by enslaved people and and by formerly enslaved people, and also fiction by contemporary writers who were thinking about and imagining the past for enslaved women and their experiences during that time. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. We, you know, as, as human beings, relate differently to objects than we do to uh, the, the recounting of some kind of an event. So what do you think that looking at all of those experiences, and of course, Ashley Sack at the centre of it, can tell us about the emotional experience of slavery? Because that's what you're really getting at here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad you asked the question that way, Ellie, when you said Ashley Sack at the centre of it, because that is exactly the way that I approach the research. And that's the way that I hope the book reads. That's the uh, the focal point that I hope people will will bring with them as they read the book or or listen to discussion of the book. The primary source, the sack, is at the center of it. And actually, at the center of the inscription, the embroidered words on the sack, is the line about Rose's love filling the sack. That line is in the physical center of the sack inscription. It is the only line that is sewn in red thread on the sack in Ruth Middleton's embroidery. And in that line, the word love itself is again at the center. It is very large. The letter L is kind of extravagant and takes up a lot of space and it's very eye-catching. So I think that the sack itself as a primary source tells us that the emotions experienced by these women, that love, um, which was given by Rose, received by Ashley and passed down, is really the heart of this episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. 
eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The story. It's the heart of this story. It's the heart of enslaved parents and children's lives. And it actually is a heart, a center point of the history of enslavement that I think we often overlook. And at the centre of this story in particular, we have that referenced moment of separation in which Rose and Ashley were separated and Ashley was sold off. Um, From all the sources that you've looked at and from the sack itself, what have you found that might help us understand that moment and, and what it would have been like? Yes. Well, on the one hand, we have sort of the historical facts about the separation of families, which we know happened to a great extent, especially in this period of the 1850s when Ashley was sold, because that was a time when slavery as a system was moving westward with uh, enslavers who were wanting to access more land. They were running out of land in uh, the Southeast. They needed more land. And they especially needed rich cotton-growing lands. The 1850s was a boom time for the movement of large numbers of Black people from their uh, original homes, still in slavery, but their original homes in the Southeast into uh, what is known as the the Old Southwest, the rich cotton-growing areas of the U.S. South, places like Alabama, Mississippi, and so on. And so this was happening in this time. And it was a very tragic period in African-American people's lives. It's a period that they remembered in uh, oral histories and interviews that were conducted later on. And so that's the context of what was happening. Trying to access the interior experience, trying to access the emotions of what it meant to be ripped away from your home, ripped ripped away from your family, especially as a child, is very difficult. And the best way we can get at it, I think, is, again, through the personal memories that we get in uh, slave narratives, in memoirs, and in letters, and through little bits and pieces that we get through um, interviews with formerly enslaved people. What we know from these sources is, first of all, children remembered these moments of wrenching separation for the rest of their lives. So people who had been enslaved, who were telling their stories of enslavement, were often doing so as uh, older people, as individuals in their 80s and in their 90s. And even at that age, what stands out in their testimony is the moment when they were ripped away from their mothers. The memory of seeing their mothers you know, on their knees, crying, screaming, begging for them to be able to uh, remain. And from these sources, we know that children were absolutely distraught in their new locations, that they were heartbroken at the loss of family, and that it took quite a long time for them to begin to form new bonds with people in these new locations. As you say, it's very, very hard to find the exact details 
of this exact story. But you did go on a search through the records for Rose and Ashley. How close do you think you got to finding them? It was quite a challenging search and a difficult search to um, try to pinpoint this particular Rose and Ashley. And uh, that's partly because what I learned when I was looking through um, all of the public and extant South Carolina records of enslavers and of slavery was that Rose was a very common name for enslaved women. There were a number of roses in the South Carolina records, which made the, the quest quite complex from the beginning. But Ashley was an unusual name, a very unusual name for enslaved women and enslaved girls. So whereas there were dozens of roses, there were only three Ashleys that could be identified in the records. And so what this meant was if there was a Rose in the records who was connected to an Ashley in the records, they were most likely to be the women Ruth Middleton described as her foremothers on the sack. And there was one case in which there was a Rose and an Ashley in the same set of records. They were both owned by uh, a family in Charleston, South Carolina, a family that also had land and plantations in the interior portion of the state, and a family where uh, the patriarch, uh, the, the, the husband, the father, died in the early 1850s and instructed his surviving wife through his will that she should liquidate many of their property holdings so that she could give a monetary stipend to each of their children. So all of these details pointed to what I feel is, you know, a 95 or 97% likelihood that the Rose and Ashley described in the book are indeed the Rose and Ashley described by Ruth Middleton. Ashley Sack is today kept in a museum and you write in the book that people, when they see Ashley Sack, they're often moved to tears by it because it's so evocative and it's so emotional. How do you think that looking at an object like this offers a different perspective on slavery than the one that, that we usually get from the historical record? There are so many ways in which this sack opens people's minds and, and feelings and spirits to not just the history of slavery, but the experiences of enslaved people that are unique to the thing. I think a part of it is because uh, it is an object and we, you know, as, as human beings, relate differently to objects than we do to uh, the, the recounting of some kind of an event, uh, you know, either orally, you know, or on the page. And I think it's, I think it's because objects are so important to us and so special to us. If, if any of us were to look around the spaces we're occupying right now, we would see items around us that hold special meaning. So objects signify in a powerful way to human beings. They are, um, they're physical, they're tactile, they capture um, the attention of the senses in a way that's quite captivating. And this object is also very interesting and appealing because it feels so personal. It is so personal. It is the original item, which was cared for over time by these women. And when you see it up close, you can see that they have actually 
patched and mended places where the bag was frayed or torn over the years. So it's very personal. And it also is quite beautiful. The beauty of the story, uh, the poignancy, uh, the way that it haunts us is all there in the sack itself. And I think that the multidimensionality of the thing in all of those ways and more is what elicits such a strong emotional response from people. Finally, what would you want people to take away from this book? I would want people to take away that even in the midst of terrible wrongs and lifelong traumas, these African-American women centered the value of love. It was a core ethic in their life together as a family. And I think the message that they can give to us is that it should be a key value in our lives today. Insisting on love is what helped them to survive this atrocity. It's what gave Rose hope for Ashley's future. And it can be what gives us hope in our present times of strife, confusion, chaos, war, and climate crisis. That was Taya Miles. Her book, All That She Carried, is out now, published by Random House Publishing. We're speaking to all of the Kundal shortlisted authors over the coming weeks, so be sure to keep an eye on your podcast feeds for those conversations. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.